Okay. Glad for our guests that are here. I met Kevin Hall back here visiting with us from Dalton, or down Tunnel Hill, actually, he said, and and goes by our church regularly and came to pay a visit. And, of course, Jose and Anna and Daniel and, well, it goes by Danny, I guess, don't you? And uh, Brittany are back with us here, and we're glad to have them here with us today. All right, let's turn to... Um, Well, where do we want to start? I'm really going to deal with Hebrews chapter 9 today, but we're going to go back to Leviticus, I guess, to get started. So let's turn there. Leviticus chapter 6. Now, as the Lord had delivered his people from Egypt... And I want you to pay close attention to that. The Lord delivered his people from Egypt. It was a matter of redeeming his own. And he brought them out. And on the way to receiving their promised inheritance, uh, they had little problems along the way. And the Lord began to give them some instructions about the proper way to approach him and to worship him. And to submit to him. And in Leviticus 6. um, Verses 1 and 2. It says there. The Lord spake unto Moses saying. If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord. And lie unto his neighbor. And that's not what I want. I don't know where I'm at here now. That's not the verses I wanted. I'm sure of that. Mm Mm-mm. Um, you know, that's not, and I already corrected one I found a mistake in here on, so I'm not sure. Okay, well, let's go to, uh, wait a minute. I, you know what I bet it is? I think it's, uh, let me try Exodus. Let's just see if that happens to be it. Is that it? Nope. I knew, it couldn't be. That's too early. Okay, I'll just pass over that one, skip that business. Uh, we'll just move on. How about going to Exodus 24 then? Exodus 24. So after the Lord had delivered his people, after they had um, proceeded on their journey through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, Uh, They encountered some difficulties along the way, and they were disobedient. If we could go back to 1 Corinthians 10, we could read several of the things that were held against them and why God allowed them to live their remaining days in the desert without ever having received their inheritance. So they wandered around for those 40 years and never made it to the promised land. During that time, then the Lord met with the people and he had established a covenant with them and in order to fulfill the promises that he had given to them, that he would do certain things for them if they would just simply be obedient to his voice. And so here in in Exodus 24, we have this covenant uh, that God made with his people, his people. And so in verse 1 it says, He said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, 
thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh. They, that is the rest of them, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, shall not come nigh. Uh, Neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said will we do. So God related to Moses what he would do for the people. Moses went to the people and said, this is what God said he will do. And then the people responded and said, everything the Lord has said, we will do. And so in verse 4, Moses wrote all these words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the, uh, under the hill and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord hath said will we do, and be obedient. And we know how long that lasted now, don't we? But look at verse 8. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. So they made this covenant. Okay. I want us to turn to Leviticus now. As a part of that covenant, God established a system for worship and offerings that they would uh, bring to the Lord. And he prescribed the manner in which it was to be done. And in Leviticus 8, look at Leviticus chapter 8. Now, of course, in the previous chapters, the Lord had given all these various offerings, the trespass offering, meal offering, sin offering, and so on. And now in verse 8, or chapter 8, he's giving the... Uh, uh, the the priests, the consecration of the priests and their representation uh, before the people of the Lord, of Jehovah. In verse 1 it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and a bullock for the sin offering, and two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather thou all the congregation together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the assembly was gathered together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. I'm telling you, I wish you sometimes knew all the thoughts that are running through your mind. Things I didn't even think about are just racing through here. And I can't even deal with it now. Uh, And Moses said unto the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord commanded to be done. And they were to be the representatives before the Lord of the people. In other words, they were to be before the Lord on his beha- on their behalf. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons, that would include Nadab and Abihu, and washed them with water, and he put upon him the coat and girded him with the girdle and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod upon him and the- girded him with the curious 
girdle of the ephod and bound it uh, unto him therewith and, 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 and so on. And so he consecrates these priests. Now look at verses 20, I think it's 23 and 24 of this same chapter. And it, and it says there concerning this, this ram of consecration uh, in verse 22, And Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the ram, and he slew it. And Moses took of the blood of it and put it upon the tip of Aaron's right ear and upon the thumb of his right hand and upon the great toe of his right foot. And he brought Aaron's sons and Moses put of the blood upon the tip of their right ear and upon the thumbs of their right hands and upon the great toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about. Now, I just simply read those verses to show that there was specific prescribed Things that God had given God, uh, that God had given Moses to fulfill in order to consecrate these priests, these men, for this service of priesthood. And of course, we could if take the time to read the whole chapter. You know, it gets sometimes kind of weary just reading it over and over, and God repeats and and in detail spells out exactly how this is to be done in a specific prescribed manner. Now, in chapter 9, we see the priestly service of these men was set forth, inaugurated. Verse 1 of chapter 9, it came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said unto Aaron, Take thee a young calf for a sin offering, and so on. Verse 3, Unto the children of Israel thou shalt speak, saying, Take ye a kid of the goats, and so on. And on through this chapter, these various offerings were presented by the priests. In verse 22 of the same chapter, chapter 9, verse 22. Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering of the, of the sin offering and the burnt offering and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle. Now, of course, the instructions for building the tabernacle had already been given, the prescribed manner in which it was done. And you remember all the details that God gave, a blueprint, exactly how it was to be built. And so Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat. Now, do you remember a few weeks ago we talked about what the significance of that was? The fact that it was consumed. You remember that? It meant that what? God had accepted their sacrifice. That's important. God accepted their sacrifice. He consumed it. Which when, he says there, all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now, 
the acceptance of the sacrifice. That, brought, that was great joy to them that God had accepted them. But now look at chapter 10. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, these ones we just saw who had been consecrated, set apart for priestly service, took either of them in his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And so now we see, in essence, we're just saying these two sons of Aaron, priests, wanting and desiring to do a, a, a maybe we say a good thing, a godly thing, and their desire to approach the Lord, but just did it in their own way, without any regard to the instructions they had just received about how to approach the Lord. And there went out fire from the Lord, in verse 2, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And we see the consequence of what happened to them because of their disobedience. And then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. Well, that's what Nadab and Abihu were attempting to do, apparently, but according to their own will, according to their own desire. They wanted to do it their own way. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. In other words, Moses was just telling Aaron, Aaron, this is what God said. Here's how it's to be done. Here's how I will be glorified before the people. And, of course, Aaron couldn't, even though it was his two sons, he couldn't say anything. As a matter of fact, uh, I think in verse 4, And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uzziel, uh, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. And so they went near and carried them out uh, in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron and unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar, his sons, uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest you die. Don't mourn over these sons. Don't grieve over them because of their sin. Which, by the way, I think is instructive, a lesson for us. Hard as it may be, God is teaching us about the importance and the care for which he desires his people to approach unto him. Lest ye die and lest wrath come upon all the people, but let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. And ye shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses, which was a good thing. Had they done according, not according it, their fate would have been like Nadab and Abihu. Now, 
Turn a few pages over to Leviticus 16. Now we have a response by God to this incident with Nadab and Abihu. Notice what he says in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Now why did God even bring that up? If the day of atonement had no significance to Nadab and Abihu. The fact is that it had a lot of significance to Nadab and Abihu. These two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. Very significant. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times. (laughs) What did Nadab and Abihu attempt to do? They just went in when they felt like it in the manner in which they felt like doing it. And he's telling Aaron, you don't just come in at all times. There are prescribed times to come before me. Speaking, and and, and in essence, he's saying, as you please. Don't come at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark. Now, that's a specific reference to what we know as the holiest place or the holy of holies, that inner room in the tabernacle, which was where God dwelt. His presence was there. And that was where they would go to meet face to face with the Lord. But it was only the high priest who could actually go into that that inner sanctum, that inner veil to where the mercy seat was. That he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. And thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh. And he shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen miter shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water. And so put them on. Well, a lot of preparation on the part of the high priest just to go in to the presence of the Lord. And God told him exactly how it had to be done. Notice in verse uh, 6, And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. So Aaron, first of all, went in with an offering. He tells us in verse 3 that it was a bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He went in for himself and for his house. Now, I'm not going to take the time to, well, I guess I will. I think I will look a couple of them up. Turn to Psalm 115, verse 10. Psalm 115, verse 10. I don't think house here means for Aaron's family, but rather his descendants that were of the priesthood. 
And I think we see this in the same sort of a sense here in Psalm 115, verse 10, where the psalmist is making an appeal for them to worship the Lord and trust in him. And he says in verse 10, O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Verse 12, the Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. That is the the house of the priesthood. Those who held the responsibility for maintaining this right relationship before the Lord for the entire nation. Which is what this day of atonement that we're looking at back in Leviticus 16 was all about. Then over and and look just across the page to Psalm 118. Verse 3, where the psalmist says again, Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. All of these are just, I think, references to, to the same kind of a concept that he's talking about for all the priests. Then there was an, a second entering. He went in twice. Then he went in for all the people. And you'll notice in verse 5, there he says, He shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Now this one was for all the congregation of Israel. It was a separate offering. And of course it required the high priest to go back into the tabernacle, back into the Holy of Holies a second time. Verse 7 says, And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and so on. And we know about the two goats and one was uh, sacrificed. One was the scapegoat, which was had their, laid their hands on it, signifying a transfer of the sins of the people, the nation, to this goat. And then it was turned loose to go out and wander in the wilderness and presumably to wander away and die somewhere signifying a taking away of the sins of the nation. And then look over in uh, verse 15. He says, Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkled upon the mercy seat, before the, uh, upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And then down in verse 20, And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place, and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat, and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities, Unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. So we see just that this uh, goat was to represent the transfer of the sins of the people, the entire nation, over to this goat, and then he was sent out in the wilderness. Now, I. There's a little bit difference of opinion as to what kinds of sins were spoken of uh, for the simple reason that there were prescribed offerings 
for various kinds of sin given to Israel. And you're familiar with a good many of those. I mean, there's some detailed instructions exactly how they were to be bring an offering for a particular kind of sin that may have been committed. But here was an offering that just covered everything. Or at least it covered the unconfessed sins, the sins of ignorance, the unknown sins someone may have committed. <coughs> but it was effective for the entire nation. <coughs> Excuse me. Hmm. Now, in verse 30, it says there, For on, this, or on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you. And ye shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. Now that phrase, a Sabbath of rest, it's, 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 um, it's, it's a, should I say, uh, an emphatic, a Sabbath Sabbath. In other words, it's a special Sabbath. And so consequently, I mean, it's a little bit difficult to translate. So you see all kinds of different translations for it. Some say it's a Sabbath of complete rest. Others, a Sabbath of uh, a sacred rest. But the idea is it's, it's a, an emphatic Sabbath, one that had specific and peculiar meaning to the people of Israel. Now, Hebrews chapter 9 Oh, excuse me, before we go there, I want us to read verse 16, though, too. Notice something else. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins, and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation. You know, even the tabernacle itself became contaminated because of its presence with the people of Israel. And so this offering was effective even to cleanse the tabernacle. The tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Now, Hebrews chapter 9, which is where I said we wanted to ultimately go. In Hebrews chapter 9 which I'm sure you're very familiar with as well, is that the, the writer here is expressing what the one sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf as a part of the new covenant. Not this old covenant that God had made with Israel, but one under the new covenant. Now, so as we look in chapter 9, I'll just kind of skip over a few things here. I want to hit some things that I think will help us to see for you and I today the importance for us in how we approach the Lord. And I say so, and again, it's this choir thing again. <laughs> uh I'm thinking largely here of the church at large 
and the general attitude that has come over the church, whether it's here in America, Europe, Africa, South America, it doesn't matter, of this lackluster, easygoing, I'll worship God my own way. And I've had some people very close to me say, well, that's just what you believe, but I'm going to do it my way. And I really don't think folks understand you do it God's way or there's going to be a price to pay. Just like Nadab and Abihu lost their lives and it cost them dearly, there's a warning for us, God's people. Just like Nadab and Abihu who were priests of God and lost their lives because they failed to approach the Lord on his terms. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a uh, worldly sanctuary, an earthly sanctuary that is. <clears throat> it's of the earth. Now that ought to send us a clue. If he's referring to a earthly tabernacle, then making specific reference to it, in other words, then he kind of sets you up to think he must be going to be talking about some other kind of a tabernacle. Well, in verse 2, For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick, and the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. That was an interesting thing there to me. I was noticing in verse 2 it says, And there was a tabernacle made. Well, that was a picture of the entire tabernacle. Then he describes the, all the things that were put into it. But notice when he goes in verse 3 to describe after the second veil, he's describing the holy place, the second veil. He calls it again the tabernacle. It's the word for tent, just like in verse 2, which is called the holiest of all and which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant and, and all these other things. Verse 6, now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. That is, into the, to the first part of the tabernacle, the first room. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year. And that word once just means what it says, one time. Not without blood, or not apart from blood. In other words, when he went, he always carried blood with him. Always. Never an exception to that. At least if there was, he would have paid the price for it. Which he offered for himself, there's that first entering, and for the errors of the people. That was that second time. Now, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all, that is the way into God's presence, was not yet made manifest. It wasn't made known, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. 
which was a figure, a parable, a picture for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. It just did not have that effect. And which stood only in meats and drinks and various washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them till when? Until the time of reformation. And that word reformation just means a time of making things straight, having a right order, a right arrangement. And so the whole idea behind the tabernacle and the ordinances that were set up is that they were temporary. They were never meant to be permanent, not designed to be so. They were a figure, a picture, or as the word is, parable. For you and I, and for them, as to what was to come. Now, down in verse 11. <clears throat> Notice then how he begins to approach this regarding the Messiah. But Messiah, being come and high priest of good things to come. Now, that's... An interesting phrase all of itself there, isn't it, too? Of good things to come. I wonder what those are. By a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Whoa, there's that greater and more perfect. Remember that earthly tabernacle back in verse 1? Now we have a greater and more perfect tabernacle. And this one, he says, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once. Now the word once there is different from the word once up in verse 7 where the Aaronic priest went in once every year. The word once here with respect to Jesus means once and never again. One time. It means taking place once and to the exclusion of any further occurrence. Never to happen again. It's a very specific word. Matter of fact, it's the same word. You know, it's, it's uh, hapox, and then you have epi-hapox. We're familiar with that little Prefix, epi, that's, we've discussed that several times, and you know that that adds an intensity to it. It means not just once, but once and never to happen again. A one-time thing. So he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, or age-lasting redemption, millennial redemption, messianic redemption for us. And so it's important to understand here as we look back to the Day of Atonement and what the Day of Atonement applied to. You remember that came after they were out of Egypt in the wilderness. God's claimed people 
And God made provision for them with respect to the sins that they had committed after they came out of Egypt. Now, the writer of Hebrews here is discussing for our behalf that very same picture of what Jesus Christ accomplished when he went in one time on our behalf and what he accomplished by taking his own blood into that tabernacle. Not the one standing there in Jerusalem, which of course then was a temple, but the one in heaven, the one that was built without hands. No man had ever touched. And quite frankly, that's where he is today. That is where Jesus is today. He went to that throne of God in that holy place and sat down at the right hand of God there continually to this very day ministering as our high priest. And he will not come out until the appropriate time. The time of the consummation of this, this age and all the ages when God will establish his Messiah as ruler over this earth and he will call forth his redeemed who have prepared themselves, that is, they have, they have followed the prescribed manner here and entering into that holy place in heaven, confessing their sins, worshiping the Lord, and are ready to meet him. Now, let's just take a look at that. He tells us in verse 13 that the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh. How much more? And by the way, it did do that. It just couldn't clear the conscience. But it was acceptable to God. But now he says here, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the age-abiding spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, that was the, that was the ultimate effect, to purge your conscience so that we might serve the living God. And so, verse 15, for this cause, then, He's the mediator of the new covenant. I want us to look at verse 18. Uh, Wait a minute, let's see. Oh, yeah, verse 18. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood or apart from blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept, and we just read about this. We read about that back in Exodus 24. When Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law... He took the blood of calves and of goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament or covenant which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. So in other words, the people, the tabernacle, 
God's presence with them, all was set apart to God. And he says there um, in verse 22, Almost all things are by the law purged or cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood or apart from the shedding of blood is no remission, no deliverance. No deliverance from sin. There's no setting free from sin without the shedding of blood. So if we're seeking to have our sin question dealt with apart from blood, it's not going to happen. You're still in your sins. And so he says it was necessary, for, therefore, that the pattern or the copies of things in the heavens should be purified with these. That is, the things in the earthly tabernacle, which were copies of the things in the heavens, had to be purified with blood. If Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had to carry his blood to that heavenly tabernacle, into the holy place, into God's presence, and there present his sinless blood as an offering, how much more must the earthly copies have the same thing done unto them? That's his argument here. But he says the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now, verse 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures, or again, the parables of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence, or literally in the face of God for us. He's there on our behalf. He is there as the high priest in the Old Testament went in once a year to meet with God in his presence for the people. So Jesus Christ is there now in God's presence at this very moment, ministering on our behalf in the face of God. And so you have to ask yourself the question then, how is it that I could have such a lackadaisical, insincere spirit about my own Christian life, thinking, well, just because I'm, quote, I hesitate to use this term, saved, just because I've received Christ as my Savior, just because I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, I really don't have to worry about anything else. Everything's okay. All I need to do now is just hang on to the end and make it to heaven, and it's going to be all right in the end. And as I've heard more than one person say, <coughs> I'm talking preachers here, you know something, folks? We don't really need to sweat the details because Jesus has done it all. All we got to do is Wait for him to take us to heaven and everything's going to be all right. The manner in which we live and the prescribed way in which we approach the Lord and how we deal with our own sins 
has a has or will have a very profound effect upon our lives. As a matter of fact, we need to go ahead and finish this. What time is that? I can't even read that. Huh? It doesn't matter? Oh, okay. Nobody else spoke up, so you win. Um, look, verse 25. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the, of, of the world. You know, Jesus would have had to die over and over and over again. Every year he'd have had to die, just like uh, the, the goat had to die when the high priest would go in on the Day of Atonement. Well, that wasn't going to work. But now once, one time in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, that really there completes his teaching about the writer of Hebrews here. This completes his teaching about the sacrifice that Jesus made. The results of what happened and what benefit it is for you and I. And so if you were to look then at verses 27, 28, you might wonder, well, now, what are these two verses tacked on the end here for? What is this all about? Well, notice... And I hope that we would all see here that, you know, the, the, the strong emphasis that the writer is putting on this. And as it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. Once, in other words, if we haven't dealt with our sins through the high priest... That, that God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ, who is there available for us at a moment's call. I mean, we don't even have to hesitate and confess that sin. He's just reminding us. We're all going to die. And after that, it's judgment. The book of Hebrews is full of warnings. They often talk about the five warning passages in the book of Hebrews. And you know, I've seen booklets and books written about the five warning passages. Well, there's more than five. This epistle is loaded with warnings. The dangers of a Christian. And how he deals with his own sin. Now, watch verse 28, then, and we'll conclude it. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of the many. The many. Who would those be? The many. In the context here, would it not be the many who approach him, who avail themselves of that blood? That is, now listen, of the redeemed of God's people. And unto them that look for him, that is, of those redeemed, those who avail themselves of that blood, those who have their sins confessed, and those who are walking with the Lord, 
in right fellowship and relationship to him, he says, will he appear or shall he appear the second time apart from sin, without sin? That is, without any regard to the sin question now, without reference to sin, unto salvation. And so when the Lord returns, this second time that he speaks of, <coughs> he will appear. It won't have to, it won't be a it won't be for the sin question then. It will in other words, not for those who are looking for him. Not for those who have availed themselves of the provision he's made. He won't deal with their sin because it's already been dealt with. Now, I'll just tell you to go over to Hebrews chapter 10 and begin with verse 26. And you read that passage there and you see what the Lord says about those who sin willfully after having received the knowledge of the truth. And I would trust and hope that you would... Man, I just don't, I'm not really good about expressing the, the burden, you know, that's on, that it, put, it puts on my heart. When I think about people I know who have such a light and flippant attitude about this very question here. Well, brother, that's under the blood. <laughs> As if it just doesn't matter. I'm saying... The Lord is saying that it does matter. And we need to take great care how we treat that and how we deal with that. You know, he makes mention earlier in this same epistle that the Lord suckers them. S-U-C-C-O, well, in the King James it might be O-U-R, I don't remember. Them. I love that verse because he says there he will run at the cry for help. That's what that means. When we call out to him and, and, and plead our cause and our case before him and confess our sins before him, it's like he runs to help in our time of need. We should not ignore that, but avail ourselves of what he's given us. Let's pray. Father, how we do thank you in the name of Jesus Christ were the privileges that you've given us to serve you. And as we look forward to the better things to come, let us be not weary in confessing our sins, of living that kind of life that you've called us to as believers, that we would remain in the race, running according to the rules, seeking to win the prize, and that we might ultimately then share and that coming rule with your son, Jesus Christ, in his kingdom. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.